had this, uh, my notes on my desk this morning, and my daughter came round and she saw I had a pink paper clip on it. And she said to me, I can see you're in for one of your softer sermons this morning. So um, whether that's true or not, you will be the judge. It's lovely to be here with you again. It's always a pleasure. I truly get filled with warm feelings inside when I know I'm coming to visit you, and that's no different this morning. And um, Teresa, unfortunately, again can't be with me. She keeps missing the opportunity because, like other churches and other people, we've got some illness in the church and she's covering pastoral cares. But she sends her best wishes and uh, hopes to come perhaps see you one other time. Um, But I want to just talk to you this morning, first off, about um, what about preaching and and, and sermons and so on and how people perceive them. Um, Yesterday, I had a, a lovely afternoon and evening um, my, I've got nine grandchildren, and um, I know I don't look young enough, you know, or old enough, but that's how it is. And uh, they're all so wonderful, I enjoy spending time with them. And one of my granddaughters is six this week, Lydia. And uh, what we love to do on their birthday is take them out and let them choose their birthday present. And then we love to go out and have a little tea with them somewhere, wherever they'd like to go. So I said to her during the week, would you like to uh, go out Saturday afternoon and then come back for tea? She said, oh yeah, that'd be great. And can, can B come with us? Well, B is one of my other granddaughters, who's nine, and Lydia really looks up to B. She loves her. I said, that's great. And then, of course, you know what children are like? They add a little bit in, they push it. She said, and can we have a sleepover? And I went, well, of course you can have a sleepover. And that's no problem at all. Anyway, that long story short, we went out yesterday afternoon, and she decided she wanted to go to build a bear. Okay? And I love going in to build a bear. I'm just a kid at heart, really. And I love to see the different bears and see how the children relate to them and put them together, the clothes they get and so on. Well, she chose an Elsa bear from Frozen and with a little outfit and everything. And they had an offer that if you bought one of these bears at the full price, you got another one of your choice for a small fee. So she said to me, can B have one as well? And B said, I really don't need one. It's not my birthday. She said, I really won't be jealous. And all the time I can see her looking at me going, but I would like one. So we got her this little dog that she wanted. Anyway, we then went and had some tea somewhere. Ed's diner, that suited me, the Burger King, you know. And um, it was great. And then they came back. Oh, we had a lovely evening with them. It was great. And they went off to bed. I thought, well, I'd better go to bed a bit early because I've got a busy day tomorrow. And they're bound to get up early. Five o'clock. They came through. And Lydia says, I'm hungry. I'm thinking, I'm tired. But anyway, we got ourselves up and went downstairs. And then we had a breakfast, we got dressed. I'm getting to a point here. And finally, uh, we were all sitting there and uh, they were just chatting away and playing. They had these two bears. And I was looking at my Bible and just having a quick look at my notes before I decided um, to, you know, to, to get going. And... Um, they said to me, what are you doing this morning, Pops? I said, well, I'm going to Whitard Road Church and I'm preaching. Oh, right. What are you preaching about? I thought, well, do they really care? You know, I said, well, I'm preaching on Thessalonians. And Lydia said, Thonians? I said, no, not Thonians. Thessalonians. There are these church. So I started to tell them about them. Well, before you know where you are, I've got these two bears sitting next to me. One on one arm of the chair, one on that. This is supposed to be Paul. Yeah, that's Elsa, is Paul. And the, and the dog is supposed to be the Thessalonians. I'm trying to tell them about this story. 
about what I'm going to tell you today, but trying to keep it quite simple. And you're probably hoping, I hope he does for us as well. <laughs> but anyway, I kept on talking and talking, and after a little while, Lydia drifted off and walked away. I said, what's the matter? She said, are you going to talk to people about this? I went, yes. She says, very boring. So needless to say, I came to you this morning full of encouragement, <laughs> full of encouragement that I'm on the Lord's work and that everything is going to be fine. And it just amazes me with children, don't they? That they just bring such joy into your life and, uh, and, and they say things which are words, pearls of wisdom. It sounds boring. And I thought to myself, now some people might think that when you start to talk to them about the Bible, when you start to talk to them about the stories in the Bible, when you start to talk to them about people like Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy and, and indeed any of them, that to some people and indeed to a lot of people in the world, it's boring to them. Why? Why? Isn't that so sad? When I believe these are some of the most exciting events that have taken place in the history of the world. They are so exciting. I often start up preparing for a sermon and I'm looking at it and I'm intrigued by it and by the time I get to the Sunday morning I can't wait to tell people about it because I'm so excited about it. And yet, like children sometimes, they can find these stories boring. Well, all I think that you and I can do is evidence it in our lives. Show them that this works, doesn't it? This works. And it isn't boring, and the Christian life is not boring. In fact, it's anything but. It's an exciting life. It's a life full of fun, it's a life full of happiness, it's a life full of challenges, it's a life full of problems and difficulties at times. It's excitement. It has zest to it. And that's what I wish people would feel about the Scriptures. And I hope you feel that way about them, and I hope that when you leave here this morning, you're not going to be thinking, that was boring and that you are going to feel that way. So what I want to talk to you about is, maybe it seems a little bit strange, because this started to expand as I began to think about it. But fundamentally, I want to talk to you about these two letters to the Thessalonian church. And I want you to think about the church in a way as it's like any other church. And I mean that. It's like any other church. Now, I've come here today to see you, and you are unique. There is no doubt about that. You are unique as a church because you're all different, and as you come together, you create a culture, and that culture is unique. If somebody new walks in here today, and they become part of your church, that culture will shift slightly. And again, it will remain unique. Somebody leaves, it will shift again. It will be unique. And it's special because it is unique. And every church is the same and every Christian is the same. We are unique. We are an individual creation of God. Don't you believe that? Absolutely. And when we come together, we create something again which is quite unique and very powerful provided we declare the name of Jesus in that. Provided it's about Jesus and not about us. But at the same time, while churches are unique, they are also the same in a number of ways. I hope they're the same, because at the very heart of the church, the very foundation of the church, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we believe in God, we believe in our salvation, 
We believe in the life ever after and that while we're here on this earth, on this journey, as we were talking about this morning, uh, so, uh, a friend of ours, we were talking about this journey that it's rich, it's powerful. So we are unique, but at the same time, we're the same. Churches have difficulties, don't they? They have problems. I remember when I used to go to Stoke Holy Cross Church for a while when we worshipped in the village when the children were little. The vicar there called David Broom, a wonderful man, a great evangelical uh, vicar. And um, he used to come at the end of the service and he'd put a blessing on us. And he'd say, I pray that you'll go forward in the world this week and that you will be blessed. And that you will bless those who love you and those you find difficult. There are difficult people around sometimes. We're difficult sometimes. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. Yeah. Oh, Chris is a lovely man. Yeah, you don't have to live with him. You know, it's a usual sort of thing, isn't it? But, you know, we have difficulties in church. And what Paul is doing in Thessalonians is looking at this church with deep understanding. One, because he helped, uh, if you like, establish the church. But he understands church. He understands what church is. Now, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about people coming together in the name of Jesus Christ. He understands it. And he knows that while there's so many great things going on, that they are facing challenges and they will face challenges. And he cares deeply about them. He cares deeply about them. He's not with them at this time when he's writing the letters. He has been with them. I'll come to that in a moment. But they're never out of his mind. He thinks about them. Because that's Paul. Indeed, it should be us. It should be us as well. I'm not saying this to uh, win your favour, but uh, when I'm not here with you on a Sunday morning, uh, times throughout the year, I think about you. I think about the people here. I think about the wonderful welcome I get. I think about what's going on. How's Steve getting on? How's everybody going? Because we're connected. There's other churches I don't think about because I've never been there and I don't know anybody. So I can't think about them the same way. But where I've been, where I feel part of it, I feel connected. And that's how Paul is about the Thessalonian church. He's connected and he cares. But he's no fool. And he doesn't want them to fall into foolish ways. So we had this passage this morning at the beginning of the second letter, chapter 1. And I, I know that's our theme in a sense, but I want to take it out a bit wider than that. And there's a reason for that really, because in thinking about Thessalonians, I believe what Paul is doing in these two letters is giving us an example of how we should be about each other. When I'm wherever I am, how I, at times God will inspire me to pray for you, or to pray for Brundle Mission, or somewhere else, a group of people, he will inspire that in me. For some reason, it will just come into my mind, I need to pray for these people. I'm not the only one who's like that. You all like it as well. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a church. But in this case, it is a church. And God will give us the words to pray. Never fails us in that, even though we might think he does. My time up. Gosh, that went quick. Or is that the sign? Yeah, we're bored. We've got enough. Not that. Time to go. Okay, so, you know, we, God will give us the words. He really will. Now, He's given us the two letters in Thessalonians. And I want to talk about those briefly in a moment. But what I want to talk about 
are the main, is the main theme for this morning and I'm going to come back to that in more detail. So, it is this. If you have your Bibles with you, that would be great. If not, don't worry. I want to jump ahead a little bit, or towards the end really, and get right into um, verses 16 to 18 of 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. And it's the sort of thing that you find at the end of most letters that, I'm going to be quite frank, very often we just take for granted. We just take for granted. And here it is. Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's that sort of completion, that finishing set of verses that we see in many of the letters. Maybe not the exact words, but words of that ilk. Yeah? Bless you. May God be with you. May his grace be on you. May you have peace. It's the way we lead people. Peace be with you. I love that phrase, peace be with you. We don't say it, do we, really? But when we lead people, wouldn't it be lovely if we could start a new custom of just saying, peace be with you. It'd be great. It'd be great. So Paul is actually finishing his letter with these words. And, you know, while they look on the surface as sort of standardised words that you put like yours faithfully or yours sincerely at the end of a letter, they're that familiar to us that it's so easy to ignore them. They are the most powerful words in the whole of that letter and the letter before. The most powerful words. And I want to illustrate why this morning and I want to just go back to say that when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians and these letters were recorded, included in the scriptures, they were recorded for a very good reason. To teach us how to deal with the church. To teach us how to deal with ourselves, but also to teach us how to help other people as well. And now Paul talks all the way through the first letter and the second letter about various things. It's at the end, when he gets to those last verses, is that the real truth comes into play. So, are you ready to have a look at these two letters? Yeah? I'm going to briefly have a look at them and show you how important they are to begin with. Okay, and then we'll make this connection that I wanted to speak about. Now, what we have to remember about 1 Thessalonians and the way it was written, it was written a long time ago. Long, long time ago. If you look in the history books and you trace back the, time, the timeline of it, about 52, 54 A.D., Right, so, you know, a long, long time ago, nearly, what, 2,000 years ago now. And uh, these were two of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And if you start to look at Paul's letters, you can see that. They are less sophisticated in a way. They're certainly less diplomatic, though Paul never really is that diplomatic, I don't think. But they're less diplomatic. They are straight to the point. They're hard-hitting. He means business. He's in that early fervour that he was in at the start of his ministry. Not that that fervour ever really left him, but it changed in a sense of how he expressed himself to people. So these were two of the earliest letters. And he means business. And when Paul means business, you better sit up and take notice. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes I read Paul and he can niggle me a little bit. He can niggle me. He says things, I think, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Oh, I don't know about that. Not in this world. Not today. So he can niggle me. But that's okay. Because I often find the people who niggle me and who make me stop and think and who make me feel uncomfortable are the ones I really need to listen to. Yeah? I really need to listen to. And Paul 
doesn't mince his words. He really, really goes to town here. So let's have a look at a couple of things that he says in the first letter to begin with. In chapters 1 and 3, he really talks about them and their faithfulness. He's very clever, is Paul. He builds them up. He, he actually praises them for their faithfulness. And that's a good thing to do. We all need building up, don't we? And he says this, Thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. He is so glad that they've taken this word on and rather said, well, that's what Paul says, it's the word of God. Yeah? And there's a little warning sometimes, you know, for us as Christians, that when we read the Bible, especially the letters, and indeed the Gospels sometimes, but in particular the letters, I hear people going, and I do it as well, well, of course, Peter says this, doesn't he? And Paul says this. Or Timothy says this. And what we've got to be careful that we don't think Paul, Timothy, as the men they are. It's a man saying it. I've fallen into that trap. And then it's easy for me to argue it when I don't like it. Because I'm arguing with Paul the man. And after all, that's all he was, was a man. No different than you and I, but with a ministry, with a particular time and time. But actually, it's more than that, isn't it? These are the words of God. And as the words of God, we have to take them seriously. And what Paul is so grateful for is that the Thessalonians have taken this seriously as the word of God. And that is something to praise them for and commend them for. And he goes on then to turn around and talk about love and hope in this first book, this first letter. He says this, he encourages the church to walk in love. He then expounds on the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord. But he does say this, examine everything carefully. I want to commend you for your faith that you've not just taken these words that I've spoken to you as the words of a man, you've actually taken them as the word of God. And in the time, when it comes, that the Lord comes again, you will have your place. Because you have taken the word of God and you've been made your life transformed as a result of it. But be careful. Be careful. Not everybody's on your side. And remember this, that as strong as we are in the word of God, we are also weak human beings with shortcomings where we can be influenced. And Paul is saying to them, be careful. Yeah? So he's had this ministry with them, and for him it didn't go very well. He had to hightail it fairly quickly in the early days of the church, but the church was growing strong and he left them to it. Paul, again, is, um, I think he's a bit marmite-ish in a sense. That's the impression I get as I read as he goes on his journeys. Some places he goes, everybody loves him and loves the things he's got to say. And other places he goes, people are thinking, get out of here now. You know, clear off and they run him out of town. You know, so he's a bit marmite isn't he? Yeah. God's word is like that. Yeah, for some people. There are those of us who love it, and those of us who don't know it yet but will love it, and those of it who reject it constantly and forever. And that's a shame. It does nothing for them. They can't stand the taste of it. And why? Because it challenges them. It challenges them. So he's saying to them, right, be careful. Be careful. And he leaves them at that point with the first letter. 
But then he hears, over a period of time, that while the church is doing well, it's coming under great pressure, great challenges. Things are happening there which he's worried about. There are dangerous times afoot. There's some things being said that he's worried will creep into the church and affect the church, taint the church, destroy the church in that place. So he writes to them again. So let's have a look at the second letter just for a moment. In the second letter, which he wrote sort of some months after he wrote the first one, he realised that some of the people in Thessalonica had, while they thought that Jesus, they knew about Jesus, they knew about everything that happened to them, they'd begun to believe that he'd already returned. People had begun to tell them that the second coming had already happened. And they were mightily confused by this. How should they react? Where, where was he? Where is he? I thought this was going to happen when he returned. He's going to come in glory. Well, where's any sign of that glory? And you know what happens, don't you, when one person tells you this and another person tells you this and another person tells you something different, no matter how strong we are, somewhere in the background, old Satan starts getting in there and going, yeah, Chris, but is it really true? Maybe he's got a point. Maybe she's got a point. Maybe you ought to give it a second hearing. Could change your life, you know. Yeah, for the worse. But that's what happens. When different doctrines, different theology, different so-called truths suddenly appear in the midst of believers, there is trouble afoot. And we may think all we like that we are strong enough to stand against it. And I do believe with God we are. But there are times because we're human, we have weak moments where we begin to question ourselves and in that questioning of ourselves we can start to question God. And that's dangerous. And Paul could see this happening and he's worried about it because he cares deeply, deeply for these people. So he writes to them again. And in this book, the second letter, he says this, We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is wonderful. He doesn't just dive in as he could do and say, Oi, what's this you're believing now? How come I hear stories about you changing your mind about Jesus and about the gospel as I delivered it to you? You've taken on board some new theology, some new teaching. He doesn't do that. Because that's the worst thing you do is to get up their noses right to begin with. He shows them that he still loves them, he trusts them, he believes in them, and he believes they're on the right path. And when you have that confidence that people believe in you, I believe you're more willing to accept what they're saying and listen to what they're saying. He is no fool, Paul. He knows how to deal with people, especially when it comes to looking after God's people and using the Word of God. And that's what he wants of us as well. Not to be fools. To utilise the Word of God. Utilise it, not use it. Utilise it. Use that Word of God to help people. To keep them on the straight and narrow. To keep ourselves on the straight and narrow. And to stand up against these people who would tell us lies. Can't use any other word for it. Lies. Untruths about the gospel, about the world, about God, the non-existence of Jesus, except as a man. You, you know what how it goes. You've heard loads of it yourself over the years. And it is rubbish. Absolute rubbish. And what I have learned is this, my friends, that 
There are people, even in our midst, and I'm not saying in here, please don't think that, but in the midst of the church more widely, who have egos and agendas. And they are not God's agenda. And the ego is not driven by God, or the love of Jesus, or the power of the Holy Spirit. It is driven by self. And that is not just in the days that went by in the New Testament, in the time of Paul. That exists now and has done all through the life of the church. And I'll tell you something that I really believe it is getting stronger now. It's getting stronger now than ever before. We fear, we fear that the church is diminishing. We look at all these statistics, the numbers are going down. I, I hate the fact that the numbers are going down. I want the numbers to rise. But what I do know that sometimes when the numbers go down, it's because you're a threat to people. When people start to criticise you, when they start to throw untruths at you, it's because they feel threatened by what you've got to say and by what you believe. And I believe the world today is still threatened by Christianity because of its power. It's unreleased power at the moment because I think there's so much more to come. And it's threatened by it. And there are people who don't like it and they will tell you lies. And they, they dislike us so much, they dislike Jesus so much, they dislike God so much, or don't believe him at all, that not only will they tell you lies, they'll actually infiltrate to get on the inside and pretend to be on your side and one of you. Now I may sound a bit old-fashioned when I'm talking about this, but I tell you what, I'm not old-fashioned. This is the reality of where we are today. And we need to be guarded. I was thinking about my grandchildren this morning. I don't know half of it, what they get told at school or anywhere else nowadays or in the, when they go around to people's houses. I can't be there with them. All I know is that when they're with me, I've got to stand for the truth and tell them the truth and show them the truth in my life. And when they come out with some of these statements that I hear sometimes, so-and-so said, this pops, what do you think about that? I need to make sure that I know the truth so I can actually push that to one side and out of their minds and they know the truth. And I'm not brainwashing them because I'm telling them the truth. And the truth will always prevail. Will always prevail. So Paul, he praises, once again he commends the, 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 the Thessalonians. But he needs to warn them again. And this time he's much more specific. He says this, be careful of the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. Be careful. The Antichrist has to arrive at some point. And when that happens, the restrainer, as Paul talks, the Holy Spirit, will be removed. But all those who believe will go as well. I believe that. I actually believe it. And people turn around to them and say, oh, you know, yeah, it's just how they express things. Let them say what they like. I can only tell you what I believe. I believe the day will come when the Antichrist will come. I don't know when it is. And I know full well that those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, even though the Spirit's going to be withdrawn, we will go with them. And we will be with him for eternity. That will happen. I don't know when. Every time I talk to one of my uh, older grandchildren about it, they've always got an answer. I'm going to tell you a little story. It's a little bit risque, but uh, it, it's, it's pure in its intent. Some years ago, we went to... Do you remember a band called Delirious in the Christian world? Very, very big. We went to a concert over in, um, near Leicester to see them once, Christian band. And uh, I had a, a sort of minibus with about 12 people on it. 
and the 12 youngsters, me and Teresa and 12 and 10 youngsters. And we were driving along, they were all in their late teens. And we were chatting about the second coming and the rapture and what would happen. And everyone was listening and they were all involved, we were having this great discussion. And as at the back, there was a young friend of my daughter's and she suddenly said, that's all okay, but I am a bit worried. I said, why? She said, well, I don't want it to happen too soon. So I said, really, why is that then? She said, well, I want to get married and have sex first. <laughs> well, uh, I had to stop the bus. <laughs> I had to stop the bus. Now, I said it was a little bit risque. But it said, in a sense, something strong about us as people. I so want to be with Jesus. If the second coming happened now, I would be thrilled. Actually, I've got some things I need to do before I go. Or some other things I'd like to do. It doesn't work like that. When it's God's time, it's God's time. Yeah, it's God's time. I've never forgotten that little story. Yeah, it's, um, we all laugh so much. Becky, her name was. I won't tell you her last name, in case you know it. Yeah. But he warns him about this. And he's removed. He says, all believers will be caught up in the clouds with the Lord Jesus. But then he says this, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. This second letter really lays it on the line. Go back and have a look at it during the week. The first letter is all about building them up, praising them for how far they come in the church, but giving them a little gentle warning. The second letter really lays it on the line. He knows that in the church at this time, there are people going around telling lies. And they're going around telling lies in his name. They're waving pieces of paper around, if you look at it. And they're saying, look, this is what Paul has said. And it has nothing to do with Paul. And he didn't write those things. And they're not papers with his signature on them. They are lies and fraudulent. But they are convincing people. In the name of Paul, who is so well regarded that these are new truths. Be careful, my friends. Be careful. Of who you allow to speak, including people like me, who you may know and trust, Test me. Test others. Where, where do I stand? And if I don't stand where I should, challenge me. Challenge them. Challenge your pastor. For he won't mind me saying that, I know. We're all human. We slip off. We go down a path. We say something that's not quite as it should be. It can happen by accident. Challenge. Don't just sit there and think, oh, that's what he believes. Find out. Find out what other people believe as well who are coming into your church and having influence over the minds of people. Now, I sound like I'm running scared. I'm not running scared. And the reason why I'm not running scared is I have God. I have the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says to them in the closing elements of that particular letter. And he talks about these things. I'll repeat these verses. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. We need the Lord's peace. Yeah? I'm going to just tell you in a moment a little bit about what that is. He then says, the Lord be with all of you. Now, what we're talking about here is not omnipresence. That wherever you are, however scattered you are, however you're all together, that the Lord is with you. He's everywhere with you. He's not talking about that physical, if you like, element of somebody being with you. What he's talking about is may the Lord's strength be with you. Because you need his strength. Come back to that again in a moment as well. And then he says, Paul, Paul, I love this bit, I, Paul, write this letter in my own hand, in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. We need the Lord's truth 
That's what he's saying there. You're getting letters there which are not in my hand. They're fraudulent. They've not been signed by me. But people are saying they are. This letter is signed in my own hand. This is the way I write. He normally dictated his letters, but he would always sign in his own signature and he would always conclude a letter in his own words as that final personal greeting element or signing off. And he's saying, be careful. But this letter you can trust. Yeah? So trust, be able to trust, goes back to what I said. You need to be able to trust me this morning. You need to trust me. And I'm aware of that every time I stand up and speak to people from the Scriptures. You've got to be able to trust me. Because if not, I will do you nothing but harm. And that can't be good. And then finally he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I preached about grace back in the autumn when I came here. And what he means by that is that God's power will pour out on us for us to be the person he intended us to be. That's what it is. Yeah? So when we come to that point where we accept Jesus Christ, we accept what the Gospel says, we accept the Scriptures for the Word of God, and we give ourselves totally to God, that is the moment we become who God created us to be. And what he's worried about is that if the grace is not there, we don't grab hold of the grasp, that these other people will influence us and we will become someone different. Someone different. And he doesn't want that. So just very quickly, I'm conscious of time. You got to one, no haven't you, so that's all right. Yeah. I'm conscious of time. I just want to talk about a couple of things. First off, I hope that you've seen how these two letters, which on the surface makes me quite short and even a little bit mundane in some senses. I've heard people say that compared to some of his letters. That's not true. These are dramatic letters. These are powerful letters. These are letters written in tempestuous times. They're full of passion. Passion for God's word. Passion for the people. So I have a look at these little letters and say, well, it's a couple of Paul's letters, isn't it? It's more than that. It's dynamite. It's absolute dynamite. So he's got this let- these letters and he's written them and he means business. But there's something about Paul which I do love immensely. And I put it down here. I was thinking about it in a week. How can I express it? When you read Paul and he means business, I put down here that as troubling and turbulent as it is, it closes with a calm. Paul always closes with calm. Like the sea after the storm has passed. Have you ever been there in a, anywhere where the sea is really stormy? And, I, and I, sometimes we, we have, we've got a caravan and we go off. We love the, the sites where you can overlook the sea. And when it's stormy, it's rough. You think, I'm glad I'm in here and not out there. And then you go off to bed and you wake up in the morning and everything's calm. And you look out and there's that sea like glass. And you think, wow, look at the peace. Look at that. So Paul wants to stir you up. But then he wants you to come down again and be calm. Be calm knowing that God is with you. God is with you. I want to excite you. I want to stir you up. But then I want to calm you down. Because when you're calm, that's when you do the best work for the Lord. When you are totally leaning on Him, totally in tune with Him, and relying upon His strength, his words, his ways, and not remaining all stirred up as a human being. But we need to get stirred up because we are human. And then we need to calm. There used to be a comedian on television called Harry Enfield. 
Remember Harry Enfield? And he used to do these Liverpudlians, didn't he, in the tracksuits. And, oh, and it was always a calm down, calm down. You know, can't do a Liverpudly accent. And even now, and my priest will go around the house sometimes when I'm up and she'll go, calm down, Chris, calm down. You know, because I do need to calm down as much as I can get head up. But let's just very briefly, and then I'll finish, look at these four things. First off, we need the Lord's peace. Do you want the Lord's peace? I do. I want to know the Lord's peace. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. And this is a transition here. The first two words, now may. The word now is transitional. He's moving from a command to an exhortation or petition. May now the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. He's asking the Lord to do this. He cares. No great command from him. He's asking the Lord to do it. And that's so good. Well, what's peace? What is this peace that we're talking about? Well, you can think about peace in a lot of ways, can't you? You think about the world today. What's peace? You know, you're sitting in a room, nice and quiet, reading your book, hear the birds twittering outside. Maybe that's peace. Lying on a nice beach somewhere, not a sound to be heard. That's peace. We've got all sorts of ideas of what peace is, haven't we? But is it really peace? You see, quietness and peace can be brought about by God. It can be brought about by a pill. Seriously. I, mean, I, I did one of the dreadful things of our times is mental health illness. And people are in absolute anguish. But peace can be delivered to them by giving them a pill. And we might say, well, that pill's made by doctors or uh, pharmacists and therefore, you know, it's of God. I'm not going to argue that point with anyone. But all I'm saying, that's not what Paul is talking about when he says, God's peace. He's talking about something entirely different. We're talking here about a spiritual peace. A true, deep down peace. Something that is so strong that nothing can upset it. When we know that we're at one with God. God is at one with us. And our very spirit, the essence of who we are, convinces us and conveys to us that nothing is impossible. And above all else, we're in safe hands. I want that peace. And that's what Paul is praying for this church. And that's what I believe he's praying for all of us as well. In a sense, he's teaching us to pray that you have not just have a peaceful afternoon, go and have a nap somewhere, a little snooze, you know, or go for a nice walk. That's not what it's about. He says, to, I want you to have God's peace. In your very inner part, I want you to feel, in your soul, the calm, the knowingness of God. That nothing, nothing that's going on will trouble you. Because it's in His hands. And we can only feel that the closer we get to God, the more in communion we stay with God. Every time we leave God off to one side for a little while, we move away from God's peace. God's peace comes through the communion with Him. So that's what Paul wants for the church. That's what he wants for us. Then he talks, of course, after that, uh, very quickly, about the Lord's strength. And I love that. At the end of verse 16, he says, The Lord be with you. Not the omnipresence, but the Lord be with you. Matthew 122-23 says, His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The scriptures go on to say in Matthew again 28, Lo, I am always with you. 
And this one I love from John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and be with you. And finally in Matthew, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he turned right around and said, and lo, I'm with you always. That is the strength that he's talking about. That is the strength. The simple strength that God is with you always. And it fits so well with the peace. The peace will not be there if you're not in communion with God. Keep close. The closer you are to God, He's with you always. And in that communion, you gain His strength. And He promises it. It's not a lie. It's not going to go away. It's there for you. It's there for you. And then He talks again about the truth. And as I said already, when He talks to me, He said, this letter is in my hand. I speak nothing other than the truth about God. When this letter comes to you and it's in my hand, then you know it is the truth. Then you know it's the truth. That's a big lesson for all of us, isn't it? That moment in our lives, at any moment in time, when we stand with somebody and we talk to them about the Lord, we talk to them about the Scriptures, we talk to them about the Christian life, we talk to them about the church, us as a family, and how we are together. Everything that comes out of our mouths should be the truth. Should be the truth. One, because that's what I should be clearing at all times, the truth and nothing but the truth. And because I'm in communion with God and I know His strength, that He would give me everything I need to convey that truth. And because I have that peace inside that I know I'm comfortable with what I'm saying, the truth will stand. And then finally he wants the grace of God to pour out on him. So that in all of that, I will be... Someone going to fall off their chair now? I will be the man or woman that God created me to be. And imagine that when people look at you. They look at you and they say, Wow, look at this. This is a person who has real peace with God. Spiritually, they're so in tune with the Lord, you can just sense it. It flows out and they like glow. It's like having ready break. You know, there's a glow around you because you've got that. And on top of that, look how strong they are in the Lord. Yes, they may be weak as a human, but in God, within Jesus, in the Lord, they're so strong because they're in communion with Him. And what they speak because of those two things is the truth. And in that truth, your reputation is sealed as a child of God. And the grace is just pouring out on you. God's grace. Because now you are who He wants you to be. And that's what Paul in Thessalonians wants for the Thessalonians. That's what Paul and God wants for you. I've been so affected by these two letters. I've preached on them before, but not in this way. I've read them before, as many of you have, probably a number of times. Sometimes read them and forgot what I read. But they've had such an effect on me over the last few weeks as I read them. And especially those last few verses where I've suddenly thought, wow, look at the power in what Paul is saying to these people right at the end of everything he has to say to them. Look what he wants for them. Look what he's asked God to deliver for them. So that church, if every single person was like that, whoa, blows your mind, doesn't it? 
What sort of church we would have? I'm going to say perfect, but I know that's not true. As a good friend of my wife, uh, a lady who was her mentor for many years, um, used to say that if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. Yeah? She told me that when I first became a Christian. And I've uh, never forgotten And it's true. But I don't want to spoil it. When I go and join a church, I want to come in as that man of God that's going to make its con- the, the contribution to that church. And that people will see in me a man of peace through God. A man of strength through God. A man of truth through God. And the man that God intended me to be. That's what I want. I'm a long way short of it still. Because it's a journey. But with Paul's encouragement, I can keep going. And will keep going. And I pray that you will do as well. Now, if you're not feeling like that this morning, because you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good, Chris. You turned around and, yeah, you've inspired me to think about it. You know, I, that's what I want to be. That's the sort of person I want to be for God. And you're not feeling it at that point. I would pray that you would see somebody over there in that tent and receive some prayer to help you through this. Get support. And can I just say this about when you go and ask somebody for prayer? I know it's you receiving the prayer. You're the one who needs that support, that help from God, that answer to your issues, your problems. But at the same time, what a blessing it is for the people who are praying for you. To know that they're involved in the kingdom of God. So if you're feeling that way this morning, that you are inspired, this is where you want to be, but you're not quite there, or there's things that are blocking you, stopping you, now is the time to deal with it. I've heard preachers say this so many times, don't leave here without dealing with it. But I know from personal experience that is true. Because once I leave here, I settle. Don't leave without dealing. Don't leave without dealing. I pray God has blessed you this morning. I hope that your, the Word of God, not anything to do with me, but the Word of God has inspired you. That Paul has inspired you to want to be the person that God created you to be. And you can because it's all within the gift of God. And you can access that just by giving yourself to Him totally. Let's pray.